Hello and welcome to episode two of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I am Brett Nolan of AppAg.net and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I listen to the sweet sounds of Apple while taking impressive photos, playing frenetic chess, saving the galaxy, helping a boy escape the basement, and solving a murder. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. It's that big number two. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, this is feels like we're yeah. feels like we've been doing it forever, and it's only episode two. It's crazy. It's funny because you know, 2017's just getting underway, and so there's not like the big things to talk about, but that still didn't prevent us from filling an entire show with things to go over. Yeah, I mean, even last year, I think we saw a lot of games come out in this time frame, like the first first to second week of January and then early in February I think we saw a lot of really good titles come out early February so I think people are starting to ramp back up and things are starting to come out and I think we're going to see a lot more titles over the coming weeks and if you're not familiar with our podcast you're just joining us every week we're going to just talk about the Apple news of the week and then any intriguing new apps that came out and then our major for- focus is going to be on games just because that's the most prolific part of the app store. There's always just a ton of games coming out. But we'll always still try to include some apps and Apple news before we get there. Yep, yep. we try to cover it all. And so for Apple, they're not making the most news right now. But the AirPods did come out right at the end of 2016. And since our first episode was dedicated to the best of 2016, we can finally focus on the AirPods, and they were hard to get, so it did take Brett and myself a while to get them, but now we've both had them, we've been able to use them, and, I mean, for me, it's probably Apple's most interesting release of 2016, especially after using them, compared to the iPhone 7, the new MacBook Pro, the, whatever, iPad Pro 9.7 inch, (laughs) and some, they came out with something else. Oh, Uh, the new watch. Yeah, the new watch. Yes. Because the Apple yeah, TV no, was the I, I was, 2015. I, yeah, I, I had a feeling I was going to like them, and I just, I'm surprised at just how much I really love them. And I think it's it helps that I'm now fully in the Apple infrastructure where I have a MacBook, I have an iPhone, an iPhone and I have an iPad, and be able to switch between those devices so seamlessly and just not even have to deal with Bluetooth, and it just connects so simply and quickly is just an amazing piece of technology. I'm hoping these the battery life stays the way it is. I'm a little concerned over time that uh, things are going to start to deteriorate like Apple's products tend to do. But uh, right now, I am really happy. I didn't actually purchase them. I got them as gift, but really happy with technically my purchase. Yeah, the Apple really did a good job with these to make it as seamless as possible because... There's been Bluetooth headphones. That's not the question. I have a pair, and you have to press the power button to turn them on every time and turn them off. They drain batteries super quick. And then when you first sync up, you have to hold the button in until it flashes red and blue, so then you're in the syncing stage. And so these, you just open the little AirPods case, and my iPhone 7 automatically recognizes you have AirPods. Would you like to connect now? So once you do that, you're pretty much good to go. The one caveat is that I have a MacBook Air from 2011, and it doesn't have Bluetooth 4.0, so 
so you have to manually click connect now the first time. But n I thought I was going to have to do it every time. Now it recognizes when I have the AirPods on and it automatically connects. So that was cool. But iOS 9 is on my iPad and so it doesn't have the same connectivity as iOS 10. Right. Yes. Yeah. And one thing I, sh I should probably just mention about the availability is if you didn't pre-order these you these still are not available in the store unless you go into the Apple store and you're lucky enough to see them a pair show up in there and you can buy them right away otherwise on their website is still a 6 week lag of when they're going to ship and then if you go to like Best Buy you're not even able to order these until like Mar well you can pre-order them but you're not going to be able to get them until like March 3rd so they're still very tough to get, and uh, the supply is really limited, but those, all the reviews I've been seeing of people that have actually gotten their hands on them, like we have, have been positive. Like, there's been so much positive buzz about these, and you saw at CES, there were a lot of companies that were trying to put out their own wireless Bluetooth earbuds, and I'm curious to see how those end up doing against the AirPods, because... Who knows? They're probably going to all hit the market around the same time at this point with the AirPods so delayed that Apple kind of lost their big uh, head start on this. But I'm curious to see how they compare to, to the AirPods. I mean, granted, I'm in the Apple infrastructure, so these work best for me. But someone who only maybe has an iPhone and then mostly uses a PC they might prefer something else. I did try to pair these to a PC, and they paired okay. And uh, like with your your, Ma your MacBook Air, I don't have to re-go through the whole process every single time. As soon as I pull them out of the case, it knows to pair them. But the only problem is uh, it was kind of a not-so-great experience because every once in a while when they connect, they'll they don't seem to sync with one another. So it's this really weird state where I hear the same exact thing coming from both earbuds and they're almost off by like a second. So it's almost an echo going on where I hear maybe first in the left and then partially, maybe half a second later, I hear the exact same thing coming from the right. So it's just this constant echo. And if I unpair them, repair them, sometimes that corrects itself, but not always. And that's a good note in case you're not completely invested in the Apple ecosystem. Yes. And so one of the biggest concerns with the AirPods is really people are like, oh, well, aren't they, you're going to lose them, they fall out of your ears, and you know all those kind of things, you're going to have to buy replacement AirPods, they made jokes about it, all that kind of good stuff. Well, I mean, I run with my dogs, and I go out, you know, walks, runs, all kinds of things, and I've never even felt the AirPod move in my ear. Nevertheless, you know, feel like it's going to be sliding out of my ear. And then also, they're so lightweight that it feels like you can forget that you have them on. Like if you were listening to music, you stopped uh, listening to music, and you're like working, you can kind of forget that they're there if you're not purposefully, actively using them. In fact, I have, because what happened to me was I have a wired pair of headphones going to my PC at work, and I was listening to music on my phone, and I had paused it, and then all of a sudden I went up to put in the earbuds in my wired earbuds in my ears to listen to something on my PC and realized my AirPods were still in my ear, and I didn't even realize they were still there. So, yes, you can forget they're even there because they're so comfortable. Yeah, and then that cord, you don't have to worry about tangling. Or sometimes when I was running, my hand would hit the cord, and, you know, that pulls it out of your ears. You don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. So that's always cool. 
Yeah, I I mean, I'm really pleased with them. And uh, I guess now it's just a matter of how they're going to last in the long term. But so far, uh, I am very pleased. I love the carrying case, too. Yes, you don't have it that looks like a, a dental floss. Yeah. It looks like a, a thing of dental floss. And in fact, there's entre- entrepreneurial people selling stickers that you can stick right on your case to make it actually look like dental floss. So if you leave it on your desk or something, no one's going to steal it thinking it's just a thing of dental floss, which is kind of an ingenious idea for just a sticker. Yep. And so that's the AirPods. They do cost 159 so they're not the cheapest things in the world, but... I mean, they pretty much work as Apple advertised, and if you're within the Apple ecosystem, that's all you can ask for. Yep. And so, one interesting app this week, it's not necessarily came out this week, but it's relatively new. It's called Filmborn, and it's a camera app that emphasizes optimizing white balance and exposure just by swiping on the screen. So you don't have to, you know, have those squares where you tap on one part and then tap on another and just you know, try to balance them differently. If you are, you know, pointing or composing your photo and it looks off, you just swipe on the screen and it really works at advertise to change the look so it more mimics kind of what your eye is seeing at the time or whatever kind of film composition you're wanting to create. And then you can also do the same kind of adjustments after the fact. So say you take a picture and the the sky is overexposed, so the clouds and the blue sky kind of blend together in just this bright color. It actually creates that definition. You can highlight certain objects, and then you can actually see the distinct white clouds against the blue sky. Yeah, there are a ton of camera apps on the App Store, but this one was really unique because of that whole focus on film stock. Like, it, you have your choice of emulating certain types of physical film stock to really give your pictures like a a unique look or a specific look if there's a a, a type of look you're going for. And like you said, just adjusting the the white balance is just super simple and easy to use. And and this is my main camera. I don't own a DSLR camera. Like, this is the, what we take all of our pictures on, our, our iPhones. So any kind of tool or camera app that I can use that's easy to use that allows me to take better or more professional-looking pictures, I'm eager to try it. And, in fact, just, I think, two days ago, Harvard released um, some free online, like, 12-part digital photography course. And so to be able to take this where you have these a lot of these manual adjustments you can do super easily and quickly, and I want to try to go and try to do one of these online digital photo courses. Granted, yes, they're based for DSLR cameras, but I'm curious to see how well, if you have the right app, you could do something like this with uh, just an iPhone camera and take really nice-looking pictures. I haven't seen one of those courses, but... you I mean, there's the manual controls. It's not one of those apps where it's like a manual photo app where you're going to, you know, put in, like, little different f-stops and try that, but... It kind of it gives you that control without really knowing what goes into it. Like you're not going to manually adjust the aperture or anything. You're just going to swipe the screen. It's going to do it for you. And then, like you said, you have those different film stocks to choose from. And it's I mean I'm not the biggest photography buff, so I wouldn't know what 
Fujifilm 400H memes or represents. <laughs> right, yeah. But when I pick it and my picture changes, I can appreciate that, that it does look improved. Or it's definitely more what I was going for with the original photo. Right, right. Yeah, I, I tried just experimenting with things. And then you see what people that actually know what they're doing are able to do with this app. And it's incredible what the, the, the pictures they're able to pull out of just like a normal iPhone camera using these various settings and just manipulating the the options that are within the app yep and so that's filmborn it is free it's universal there's a few add-on in-app purchases but that's kind of if you want more from the app you can still fully take photos and take advantage of the main features we discussed without paying anything for it right yeah you get all i think you get all nine of those different film stocks as in included it's just other things for doing curved based uh, control of the light and shadows and, and other more professional type things. Yep. Filmborn free universal. And that means it's time for some new games. And we'll start off with Star Wars Force Arena simply because Apple's thrown some big plastered posters of it all over the App Store because it has that Star Wars name attached to it. And so the game style is familiar. It's the MOBA style, which is multiplayer online battle arena. But with Star Wars characters, you have the collectible card setups. So you start out with Luke Skywalker, and then you get the rebel soldiers you can throw into battle. Then you flip sides, and you have an Imperial perspective. And so there's one main hero card, and then you have the different units. And those units you're going to collect and upgrade as you go, depending on which side you're battling on. And the heroes, you know, it's the usual suspects of Luke and Leia, or Darth Vader and Boba Fett. And you... All, each one has their own kind of special power ability, but it's really about putting them in the right position so they can attack while you have other units kind of in front of them. Like, say you send Luke over to take out one of the turrets, you're going to want to make sure you have a few different rebel units in front of them so they take the main fire from the turret as you're doing the main heavy attack against it to try to take it out. And so each setup, it's that arena, like I said, it was like, you have three turrets, and then there's the deflector shield. So you need to take out the turrets to get to the shield and then destroy that to win the round while, of course, protecting your own three turrets and shield. Right, yeah. So the, the basically, they have multiple different playing fields that you can end up on. It randomly picks one. But the basic setup is you're going to be have your main base in the back with your deflector shield, and then you have a close set of turrets and then a far set of turrets and you basically have to try to take out your two of the close ones and then the two and the other are, are the enemy ones and you gotta be, try to take out at least one of those so you can just start unloading troops and try to get as many as you can so they can get up close to the deflector shield and take it out otherwise you can call in air support in the form of x-wing fighters or if you're on the imperial side tie tie fighters and those can either you can either use them to try to take out ground troops or weaken ground troops or even the turrets themselves or you can line them up so that they'll do some direct damage to the deflector shield, even though maybe your troops can't quite reach it yet. So you have a lot of options of how you want to plan things. Granted, your cards will come up kind of randomly as to what you can deploy, and then you have to wait for your energy meter to replenish enough that you can afford certain troops. So you want to make sure you have a mix of different troop types that are not only ground or ranged attackers, uh, or 
also ones that are cheap and then expensive to deploy. So that way you can get a lot of troops out there because maybe while you're focused in one area, your opponent might be trying to sneak around the side and go and just do some damage without you really even noticing it until it's too late. They, they snuck a person around and it's just going after your, your deflector shield and you don't even happen to see them there. But uh, it's it, it's a really light MOBA, but it's strategic enough that I think it's... And the fact that it's Star Wars is going to attract a lot of people. And so you're always going to have people to play against. And it does it seems to do a nice job of matching you up with people of like skill or like uh, what they've unlocked. Like at least enough... You're not going to go over someone going against someone that's way overpowered than you. And so I, I've been enjoying it. I mean, it's definitely on the lighter side, but it's still, be, I think, partially, mostly because of the Star Wars name. It just feels really fun. You want to unlock new leaders and new characters. But uh, overall, I, I've really been enjoying it. And so the game, it reminds me of Vainglory, but it takes it down a notch in terms of accessibility and simpler strategy. And then, you know, it kind of combines it with Clash Royale. Clash Royale has a different setup, but that same kind of strategic idea of placing units and trying to direct it to destroy the enemy's base. That's a super simple version. So it kind of sits in the middle between those two. And then the Star Wars theme, like you said, it makes it that much more engaging to want to keep going and playing battles because it gathers characters from the original trilogy, the prequels, as well as Rogue One, and then also Star Wars Rebels. So you can get Director Krennic on the Imperial side, and you could use Ezra Bridger from Rebels. So you have that whole mix of potential Star Wars universe characters to combine and battle against one another. Right, and you can do one versus one where you only have one of your leaders, or you can do two v two, so that you really things really start to change up. So you have a lot of options, and you're constantly unlocking packs. It seemed fairly easy to to get new card packs, and you didn't have to. You can buy things, but they seem to be pretty liberal with dispersing the packs and giving you more stuff and they have right now for the launch they have some things where you have to complete certain goals and you can unlock han solo and i forget who the other person you can unlock is but if you complete just certain goals within the first 10 days of the game is out then you get other legendary uh leaders for free so if you're going to check it out, you definitely want to try to do it on the earlier side so you can take advantage of some of these launch promotions they have. And, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're quick battles, three-minute battles, so it doesn't take long to hop in, hop out, and just quickly play a game. Yep, and so that's Star Wars Force Arena. It's free. It's universal. And like you said, that free-to-play setup, it's not the most invasive. Like, there was Galaxy of Heroes, Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes last year, and that one had, like, five different currencies and it kept pushing you through <laughs> tutorials of how to spend money and all kinds of menus this game really is more hands-off to let you just play the game they included and then you have options to buy and kind of upgrade quicker but it's not force-fed down your throat yep and so next up is chess and so that's with a zz on the end instead of an ss and it takes the classic idea of chess and instead of having a turn-based board game, you have a real-time game where each piece has a cooldown. So if you move a pawn one space ahead, it takes three seconds to cool down until you can move it again. But you can move your rook or your knight or your queen all at the same, or at least as quick as you can tap the screen. So you have kind of 
like a real-time strategy game with the classic ideas of chess, and then they've turned it into a level-based adventure. So you'll have a level where you have a specific alignment of pieces, and then you're going to deal with that, try to win. And then there's three different game modes. There's Capture the King, which is self-explanatory. Then there's Survival Mode, where you just need to protect your king for a set amount of time. And then the third mode, I forgot what it is. Do you remember? I don't remember what the third mode. No, I don't remember. I've mostly played Regardless, the uh, Capture a, the King mode. Yeah, so, I mean, it takes just that essence of chess that you're familiar with. Or even if you're not, it has a pretty simple tutorial. But it feels different. Like, really bad chess was a good chess game at the end of 2016 that was felt different because it randomized the pieces. So you might have a few bishops in the front row and multiple queens to work with. So this one... It gives you the familiar pieces, but they might be in different arrangements, but it just feels different because you don't have to wait for your opponent to do something. You can just throw all your stuff forward and let's go. Let's get on with it. And just a more action-packed <laughs> version of chess. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not as, as tactical or slow. I mean, you basically, if you're not moving your pieces quick enough, your opponent could rapidly overtake you because if they're moving pieces super quickly and you're still trying to react you're going to have these cooldown periods where you may be taking a little bit too much time to think about what you're going to do next in the meantime he might have moved two pieces and lined himself up that as soon as his cooldown happens he's going to take out your king so it's it's a much more frenetic and reactionary game than a slow methodical and tactical game which it's fine with me, because oftentimes I think chess is just too slow. That's why I really liked really bad chess, because it swapped things up, and it wasn't this thing where the person who's played more and knows, memorizes all kinds of moves, is going to be the one who wins. And the same goes for, for chess, because it doesn't matter if you know how to play chess. I mean, you know how the pieces move, but that really doesn't matter when all bets are off and things are flying and someone might be able to move multiple times in the time it takes you to move one piece. And so it's not going to help that you know how to play chess because anyone can win because it's that real-time, fast, quick-thinking gameplay. And I, I think I like I definitely prefer it over chess because I'm just not a, a strict basic chess fan i love when the in on ios when we see these these changes to chess that make them a much different and more interesting at least for me game yeah because with the normal setup of chess like you said people have memorized like you know special maneuvers like they put the bishop out to a certain space and you put the queen and then it helps you do some advantage or something or even just when you're playing you look at, you like study the board, like, oh, I can move this. You go over like 10 possible moves of every piece and you're just staring at the board. This time you might <laughs> throw a piece into a bad area, but you maybe can move it or throw something else to cover it up. Who knows? You just got to kind of deal with it. Like I threw my rook and now his queen can take it out, but maybe I'll put my bishop into play. So when by the time his queen gets there, my bishop might be able to take it out while it's cooling down from going and taking it. So you can always make up for moves and you don't have to be like, one mistake can ruin your whole thing, and you don't have to... You just are less hesitant about, oh, God, they could kill me here. You don't have to do that. You just kind of just keep plowing forward until you can take out their king, no matter what pieces you lose, as long as you start taking out some of theirs. 
Right, and what, well, one cool thing about Chess is you can see, say you see the queen coming down to take out your rook, you can quickly move your rook, and it's not going to hit your rook. But by doing so, you may have just opened a hole that as soon as, like, the, the cooldown period ends, they could just take out your king. And so you there's that quick reaction, but you also still have to kind of think about what you're doing, because inadvertently by saving one piece you may open yourself up to an instant loss or losing a more valuable piece and not even realize it because you are so like just reacting to what's happening you always try to be on the offensive in this game <laughs> yep and so chess is going to be free and it's universal and then it's just as supported and like i said there's you know that quick setup but also Anyone can play it because it's that level-based thing. So it's like even an individual level, like you're on level 12, you can beat it. You know, it's not just like here's a daily board or you have to play against somebody online. You have specific things to get through to keep you playing. And then there's also a PvP option. Right, yeah. So you can play against another player if you want to, but you don't necessarily need to have another player to play it. Yep. So that's chess. Remember, it has ZZ on the end. And then there's Binding of Isaac, and this game has been hotly anticipated, at least from what I gather reading other sites about upcoming games. We're so focused on what's out. There's always so much that's out, it's tough to kind of keep track of what's upcoming. But I know this one's been anticipated for a while, and it keeps getting delayed. Well, it's finally available. It's called Binding of Isaac, and it's ported over from other platforms, but on iOS it feels relatively at home because it has that dual stick shooter setup so you just move with the left hand and then aim with the right hand and it's a room based kind of dual stick shooting adventure it's set up in a dungeon crawler where you play as the little kid Isaac who's trying to go through the series of basement he's going to go deeper and deeper and so you need to kill all the enemies in one room and then you have multiple doors to pick from you go into one of those doors collect any items kill more enemies and you keep plowing forward until you find the room with the boss so then you can go a floor deeper so it's that familiar kind of dungeon crawler setup it's reminiscent of heroes of loot or robo kill with both of them heavy on the action where you know you're not so concerned with rpg upgrades and you know the whole storyline and getting lost in menus it's more just fast-paced action killing everything that's on screen and then there's a crazy theme with just the art design and the styles of all the enemies that you're going to encounter. Now, I haven't had a chance to play this, but one of the reasons I know that it was delayed was because Apple initially rejected it when they first tried to submit it, claiming that it showed violence towards children. Because I guess it's it's inspired by the, the biblical story of Isaac, whose dad, Abraham, is going to sacrifice Isaac and kill him to... Uh, so to prove God to God that he uh, he's loyal, and then Isaac doesn't end up getting killed. I know, spoiler alert. Ooh. But um, <laughs> and I know, I think the, the time has passed. I think you can talk about it. Uh, but uh, is there a lot of violence toward children in this game? Because I know they said they weren't going to release it unless on iOS unless they could release the actual game. And, and it seems kind of foolish. I mean, there's plenty of games where a child is the main character and the child is getting killed. So I, I don't know. It seemed a little odd that they were rejected on that unless it's like some majorly 
violent game. I mean, it's rated 17 plus. It's mature on Steam. So I didn't know if there was like things that would cause it to get rejected. Um, I mean, for what's included of what I played through, you told me the description says that there's a direct thing where the kid's trying to escape his mom or something. They might have cut out the opening kind of story cutscene kind of thing because it throws you right into the game. And then, I mean, it's not any more violent than what you usually have with these type of... I mean, it's cartoons where there's blood on, like... Say you have, like, this crazy caterpillar with huge, gigantic teeth coming at you, and then it, like, poops on the ground as it goes. It runs through that poop, and, you know, you can shoot the poop. You can shoot the bloody caterpillar thing. It kills you, and then you'll write a little note, like, I died today. I was killed by this monster. You know, a little kid writing a little note. But, like you said, it's the main character's a kid. He's going to die numerous times because the game's set up where you try to get as far as you can, you die, and then you Before try you to die, do better yes. the next time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So, I, I don't know. Maybe Apple finally realized that it was kind of dumb. to, But, yeah, and, and so you you haven't tried... I, I read that there's also, like, a whole co-op mode. Well, first it says there's 500 hours of gameplay. I mean, one of the big things people are going to notice about it first, unfortunately, is how it works, is they're going to see the fourteen ninety nine price tag. They're going to... Because on iOS, that's a premium price. It's the same price on Steam if you were to buy the game on Steam. But as soon as you see that fourteen ninety nine price tag, that scares away a lot of people. But it supposedly has 500 hours of gameplay, and there are over 100 of these co-op characters that you can unlock if you wanted to play co-op mode. You do need an MFI controller for the, for the co-op mode. But uh, would you say... I mean, I don't know how much of the game you've had a chance to play, but would you say that the premium price is is worth it or do you see like the value that's there or is it one of these things where you think it's going to scare too many people away and it's kind of getting dropped in price because it has to yeah I, they're trying to have steam type pricing on ios and ios is never going to support steam type pricing so the one cool thing is that it's not purely endless in the there's 20 challenge runs. And so I've completed the first run where you want to make it through five basements and then that unlocks the next run. And I guess it depends on your skill level. But if you have to replay a few times and that's just the first one and you're going to do that multiple times, you can add up a lot of hours of gameplay. And then since the run is different, like I did the first run, now the second run has a new objective, it does want you or it keeps you engaged and intrigued to want to go through all the challenge runs Though I didn't see as much roguelike, or at least not those RPG upgrade style elements. There's definitely the roguelike where you're going to die and keep trying and getting better than you did the previous time and try different rooms and pathways through each floor. But it's not as heavy on, you know, upgrading your character. Because there's 10 unlockable characters that kind of changes things. But the core game, I don't know if it, just because the two examples I gave you, Robo kills yeah. four ninety nine when it was released. It's ninety nine cents now, and then Heroes of Loot was two ninety nine when it released. And this game might be lengthier overall, but I don't know how many people are going to get there. Right, right, yeah. That's that's my one concern. When I see these come out, like granted, a lot of my picks last year for best games were stuff that came from Steam and were ported over to iOS, but they were more like in the six ninety nine to nine ninety nine range. And I just, I think, unfortunately, 
even if the game is spectacular, it's going to have trouble at this fourteen ninety nine pricing. I, I mean, I hope it does well for them, but I think they're going to struggle. And I just don't think exactly what you said. iOS is going to support that level of pricing. Even Apple's tried it on like the on the Apple TV store, and I don't know how well those games are actually doing. Like there's that one from Harmonix where you're the baseball thing. And I maybe played it for a week. I bought it for ten bucks. I played it for a week, and I really don't feel like it was worth ten dollars. Uh, other games I have bought for for that much, and I thought that was fine. I mean, we have Super Mario Run that was ten dollars, and that I felt like I, I got about ten dollars worth of playing it, and I'd probably go back and play even more. I I stopped just because of everything else that I've been playing, but I think it's a tough. A tough thing once you get above that nine ninety nine pricing, uh, to to be able to sustain that price for a long time or for the long haul. Yeah, they'll get that initial push from people who are familiar with the game, but after those people have bought the game, it is a real tough sell. Just because, you know, it's not the most complex looking game. It has relatively simple artwork, and then, like I said, it's a dual stick shooter set up into that roguelike dungeon crawler. And that setup has been seen quite a bit on iOS. It's not like this super advanced genre that, oh, there's only like two of those on the App Store. There's a number of these type of games. So it has a tough time distinguishing itself just by the screenshots and the icon and the name if you're not familiar with the, like if you're just browsing the App Store. Right, right, exactly. But that, I mean, it's definitely good. I don't know if it's worth $15. You'll enjoy the time you spend with it. I know I did. But $15 is definitely a tough price to sell at and to recommend at just because there may not be equals, but they're pretty close alternatives on the App Store. Okay, okay. And so it's the Binding of Isaac Rebirth, and I hope you have the price down by now. It's $14.99 at Universal. <laughs> okay, and so one last game that I want to talk about, because we got a digital war game, so that's awesome, is Mysterium. And this is Asmodee Digital. This was originally supposed to launch, I think, in November or December of last year. And along with Potion Explosion, it was pushed out to... Uh, 2017. Little did I know it was going to be the first week in 2017 they decided to release it. So, surprise, it's out. And so this is a digital adaptation of the 2015 award-winning game. It's originally a remake of a 2013 Polish game that did really well. And then Asmodee decided to bring it to the U.S. and change the name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Polish name, but they're going to change. They changed the name to Mysterium. And it is a kind of a sort of mashup of Clue and Dixit. And basically, what a murder has occurred, and you are there's a group of psychics, and they're trying to solve this murder. And the ghost of the murdered person is trying to give them clues as to the murderer, the place where the murder happened, and the weapon. Thus, very clue like. And But unfortunately, because he's a ghost, he can't actually talk. So the way he does this is to give them... Uh, each, each of the psychics has a different set of murder 
uh, place and weapon because the ghost has kind of lost his memory and he kind of tried to vaguely remember what happened and he's not so sure. So each of these psychics has a different grouping of these that they have to figure out. And it's a cooperative game, so you're all working together. The psychics can all talk amongst each other and kind of decide to help each other figure out maybe which of this pool of murderers is the, is each belongs to each person. And so what the ghost does is they give each of the psychics a card. And these are like ornate drawings with all kinds of, like, they almost look like paintings with all kinds of random stuff on them. And so the, you don't know what the ghost is trying to tell you specifically with this picture. It might be there's a picture of a lion in this picture I'm giving you, and there's a lion on the bed in that bedroom, so maybe that's the person you want. Or maybe that's the place where I got murdered. Or there's a picture of a sword, and this uh, person is carrying a sword, so he's the murderer, I want you to guess. But you don't necessarily know that. It could be based on color, it could be some object in the picture, you have no idea. And so, basically, you're going to, in that order... Uh, try to guess your person, and then once you successfully guess the murderer, then you can, on another round, you can then guess the place, and then finally you can try to guess the weapon. And so what happens is all of these psychics are trying to get theirs correct. It, the game takes place over a total of seven hours, which is seven rounds, one round per hour. And so at the end of a round... Each person makes a guess of as to what their whatever the current thing they're trying to guess is, whether that's the the person, place, or or weapon. And as soon as they guess it correct, then on the next round they can start working on the next one in order. If at the end of the seven rounds, if all of the people have not identified all three of their pieces of information, they lose. At the if before. By the end of the seventh round, if they have all guessed this information, now the ghost is going to try to guess, get them to guess the actual set of murder, place, and weapon. And so he gives them one more clue of pictures, and if the majority of all of the psychics guess those, those uh, correctly, then uh, the team wins, otherwise the team loses. So it's a cooperative game. You win or lose as a team, but it's this whole deduction thing where you're trying to figure out information from this ghost that can't talk, and it's very difficult to to play. So either you can play as a psychic, or you can play as the ghost. The ghost is insanely difficult to actually get right, especially in a digital thing where he can't talk, but in um, in like a normal physical board game, you would hear the other the psychics talking amongst each other and that might give you ideas of different clues you could give them you can do that all the way up until like the last uh the psychics can't talk to each other in that last round where they're trying to guess the correct set they can only do it in the earlier rounds but it's a it's a cool little deduction game i own the physical game i haven't actually had a chance to play it yet so it was great to see how the whole all the mechanics work in this digital adaptation, which is really faithful to the the physical version. So I like how it's relatively familiar with the clue mechanics of play, the place, person, and weapon, but then it takes on that whole interacting with the ghost, psychic kind of setup. And then the team idea of, you know, competing with a team, that's a pretty neat idea. How does that change? Because I see that it supports up to seven players online. 
how does that work when you're solo play with AI partners? Like how, like, are you kind of selective with the partners you're going to have? So, yeah, what you can do is you can either set up like you're with a group of people, you know, or you can go online and it's the way Asmodee has done a lot of their uh, multiplayer in mo all their most recent apps. It's all real time. So you kind of go in, you have to form like a group of uh, people that they have um, just from the people that happen to be online at the time. And one of the cool things they've done is because the ghost is such a hard thing to do, what you can do is you can pick a quick game. And what that does is has an AI player be the ghost. And that way no one has to be the ghost. You, you just need a minimum of four psychics and you can start a quick game that way. And they do have, like they did with Colt Express, they have a whole separate story mode you can do. where, And that's what you would do if you're going to do like a solo play. So that way you can go through the story mode and it's a much more friendly to like playing with AI uh, type of uh, assistance. And so the, the one thing I have, the one problem I have is with that real time is... During that deliberation time, when he the ghost has given each player a a card or multiple cards to help them try to figure out their piece of information, you have two minutes to confer with the other players and try to exchange information and help each other out. That works well if you're talking, because you can get information out much more quickly. But if you're having to type out information and say, hey, uh, black player, I need you to, I think it's this, or blue player, I think it's this, and you're trying to read through what people wrote and type out whatever you're going to type out, you almost need a little more time just because it's slowed down because you're typing. And I, there's no option to either change that amount of time or even just eliminate that timer so that if you just want to have a slow, friendly game where you don't care about the timer, it would be nice to be able to just say, we don't want, we want to start a game, but we don't even want to use the timer. We want to just have as much time to deliberate as we feel comfortable, and then we'll move on. We don't care if it takes a little longer, but I wish they had these like little checkboxes you could check off when you start a game to, to do that, because they don't have an asynchronous multiplayer. It's all in that real time. And it's one of the things I kind of miss because they did it so well with the Ticket to Ride Pocket where if people just played quickly enough, it didn't matter that it was asynchronous. It felt almost in real time. And I think that I wish they would go back to that model rather than forcing you to have these real time and having to find opponent, uh, other players that are on at the exact same time as you. And it just that can be kind of frustrating if there's not a lot of people playing at the time you want to play. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. But otherwise, it's it's a really nice port, and uh, they are just really knocking out of the park, Asmodee Digital, with all of these releases. And, and like I said, they have Potion Explosion, which I'm on the beta on, and that's I'm enjoying. I I like that even better than Mysterium, and I can't wait for that one to come out because that's even that's even more fun. And but this, if you are have ever even been curious about the the board game, I mean, this is far cheaper than buying the actual physical board game, and you can carry it around. It's a universal app. It's only six ninety nine, and you have that whole story mode, so you don't need other people to play with, or you can go online and play games and i really do love that fact that you don't necessarily have to have someone play the ghost just because it is so tough and not everyone wants to play that role 
to be able to quickly start a game without having to, someone to have to do that, especially if you don't know other people, it's that's even tougher because at least if you if you're the ghost and you know all the other people you're playing with, you might have other things you can do that would kind of give that person a hint. Uh, you can't say anything, but you know that person. So you might be able to give them certain cards and you know their train of thought. Where if you're playing with just complete strangers, that's even tougher because you have no clue what to really kind of base your clues on for them. So uh, that is a very nice feature to have. Okay. And so that's Mysterium. It's six ninety nine, and it's universal. It comes from the makers of Cold Express, which came out at the end of last year. And it's just... Yep. They do a good job of making digital board games. So if you're a fan, like Brett is, <laughs> they're a company to go to. And I think that's everything for episode two. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed the App Advice Weekly Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.